Welcome to the Race and Redemption Podcast. We're here to help white Christians move from questions to change. This is my friend Susan. She brings her whole heart to this conversation. She has a wealth of experience in cross-cultural relationships in her own family and in her community. And she marries that with the truth of scripture about race and redemption. And this is my friend Brooke. She has been researching these topics for years within the church, and she's bringing new information that's factual, accurate, and nonpartisan. And that's what the church needs right now. Cesar Castileos is a youth worker, speaker, leadership trainer, and artist. For 20 years, he has been on staff with Young Life in the Minneapolis area, working with middle and high school students, as well as training young adults for leadership in diverse contexts. He has a passion for helping young people understand and live into their identity, gifts, and purpose. And he travels throughout the U.S. speaking to students about his own story and inspiring them to live up and speak life. Cesar is deeply involved with a number of youth programs in his community of Richfield and uses his artistic skills for a wide variety of ministry purposes. He is a graduate of Westmont College and has his MDiv from Bethel University. Cesar, thank you so much for joining us today. We are excited to be able to hear about some of your experiences and your background. You have been doing youth ministry for more than 20 years. Amazing. Um, and I'm sure had a lot of wild experiences during that time. I know you you do a lot of different things when it comes to connecting with youth. And so I'd love for you to just tell us a little bit about that, the work that you do now and kind of how you got into that. Yeah, I, I guess I, I can start with what I'm currently doing and then work, work backwards of how I ended up here. I currently have a role with Young Life. It's a full-time role. 30 hours a week, I run a national program called the Servant Leadership Project. Uh, and that entails uh, two summer projects this summer, but we take 30 17 to 19 year olds and 12 Young Life staff, and it's an intensive training. Uh, we stay on college campuses, and it's an intentional disruption of their comfort. And mm-hmm. we really try to teach them through experience what it looks like to live cross culturally. Uh, and so that's planning and preparing and recruiting for that is all year round. But then I'm also uh, local area director as well, uh, and serving in a local area called Richfield in right outside of Minneapolis in Minnesota. So that is my ministry role. My goal for my life is just to be a good steward of what I feel my gifts and talents are. And so there are a lot of things that I feel like I have to offer that my jobs aren't asking for. And so I, I started uh, a company called Live Up Speak Life. And the vision of that is just to help people live up to their full potential and speak life into others. And it's not a Christian company. Uh, I am a follower of Jesus, but I also know that I'm called to be in secular spaces and that everyone's looking for the same thing. Uh, Mm -hmm. People just don't have the same language uh, to search for it. Mm -hmm. If you would have told me in college, this is what I'd be doing when I graduated 20 years ago, (laughs) I would have said no and tried to run the other direction. (laughs) <laughs> uh, I volunteered with Young Life for four years when I was in college. That was my time to give back to Young Life for what it uh, gave me growing up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I wasn't expecting on going on staff for as long as I have. I told my area director and my mentor that I'd give them one year on staff and then I was going to find a real job. <laughs> I've been on staff for 18. And so Amazing. it's a really long, 
long year that I've been on staff. Amazing. That's that's a, that's the quick story of how I got where I am. So having been in ministry for that long, I'm sure you've seen some pretty amazing and probably really silly things too. Could you tell us like a funny story and maybe something that really has just stuck with you that's blown your mind? It, it, it is a silly story. It's kind of, here's the funny story and it, it's less to do about youth ministry and more about being in the culture of youth ministry. Mm-hmm. I was attending a Young Life All Staff Conference and I was, I was standing in the lobby, I was speaking to another colleague of mine and someone came up to me and said, Hey, I've heard you speak. And I've spoken at a lot of Young Life things, church camps and whatnot. And so I thought he was talking about that. And five minutes into the conversation, I realized that he thought I was Francis Chan. Oh gosh. Oh, God. Because oh. he, he named a city that I'd never spoken at. And then it was just awkward because I just had to say, I think that you think I'm someone else. And then he looked at me and I said, I I think that you think I'm Francis Chan. And he looked and he realized that I was not Francis Chan. And then he just walked away. It was super awkward. (laughs) But it was just a weird ending to this conversation. And I laughed about it because I, I see a resemblance. But at the same time, it was weird because, uh, I have this history of disappointing people. I was going to ask you about that because yes, your whole identity is a little, like you said, it, it confusing is. to people. It's, I, I've heard the term ethnically ambiguous, uh, which, uh-huh. which helps, but really it's a longer part of my, my identity story is that mm-hmm. I'm, I'm Filipino. My name is fully Spanish. I grew up in a suburb of Minneapolis and at the time it was primarily white. And so I remember having a identity crisis at nine. Mm. And when I would go to school, I'd realize that I don't look like anyone else. Mm. Uh, And when I would go to Filipino things, I didn't speak Tagalog. I understood it. Mm. And I wasn't Filipino enough. And then I'd go to certain settings and people would see my name and start speaking Spanish to me. And I would just say, I don't, I don't know what you're saying. Or Mm. now I know how to say, lo siento, no habla español. But when people are excited to come and talk to me because of something they think I am, I always kind of let them down. And Mm -hmm. so people would come up to me and speaking Spanish to me. And then I realize in their face, oh, he's not a Spanish speaker. Oh, he's Mm -hmm. not Filipino enough. And I I knew going to school, I didn't have to go anywhere. I looked at myself and said, well, I'm not white either. Mm -hmm. And so at nine, trying to navigate who am I and where do I belong? Where, where, where do I find spaces where I can actually just be and not perform? And I think that's really helped me understand what it means like to search for your identity. And so when I found my identity in Christ, that was really the, the solidified who I really am. And ethnicity is just part of me. Language and culture is just part of me, but who I am at my core, I was just glad I was asking, who am I at nine? that it didn't need to ask that at 29. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so really that's the reason why I work with middle school and high school students. I want them to know the question and know the answer before they get to 29, 39 and have to re-ask it because their mm-hmm. identity has been wrapped up in their career or their success. And they say, well, who am I when I don't have my job? Who am I when I don't have the things that I have? Uh, I actually want them to ask that question at an earlier age because I did. And so when I disappointed this guy because I wasn't Francis Chan, <laughs> I didn't feel bad about it. Mm-hmm. I, I just realized 
you know, thank you, God, for helping me understand who I am. So I'm not a disappointment to everyone else. And I don't feel like that. So much grace in that response. For sure. Yes. It's taken time. It's (laughs) it's taken time. I I think my friends are more offended when people mispronounce my name, but I understand I mispronounce it on purpose. So when people Mm. see my name, I don't say Cesar because they think I speak Spanish. I say Cesar. So then Spanish speakers say, oh, that's, that's, that's something else. Why do you say it that way? And so my whole life has been this identity search and finding it in Christ and then being set free of all other people's expectations of who I could be or should be. What a gift that is. And as you said, I'm sure it took a long time to be comfortable in that, but that you have that experience that then you can mentor and coach young people who are inherently in their teen years trying to figure out their identity. I just love that you shepherd them through that. And I know... At Young Life in particular, they talk a lot about belonging. I heard you say the word belonging, mm-hmm. that that's super important for them in terms of a mission and maybe not always easy to land on. I'd, I'd love to hear a little from your perspective of kind of why that's important and maybe where we miss the mark, especially in certain ministry contexts or when we think about um, people of color feeling comfortable in mm-hmm. environments that we're in. Like, what are we missing when it comes to belonging? What's, what's the key aspect there? One of the words that you use is, is that we feel comfortable. And and what I know is that the greatest growth never came out of the greatest comfort. Mm. So when I think of belonging, it's not that people feel comfortable. I think mm-hmm. it's that people feel welcome. Um, they might be welcome in a new space, but there's some discomfort because it's new to them. And so when I think of what belonging is in young life, but this is really just in life, is creating a a space where people feel welcome enough to learn. Hmm. And that's really, really what I see as the goal. Uh, People that feel welcome enough to say, I don't quite understand, but I still want to be here. Hmm. Um, There are times and places where you can walk into a room like, I don't belong here and I don't want to be here. That's Hmm. not belonging. But Hmm. I, I look different, but I still feel invited. I still feel like I can be here. And that's really what I, at the core of belonging is not comfort. Cause mm. I just know there are too many people that are too comfortable. Mm. And I don't, right. I don't know if that's good. I don't know if that's a good thing. Cause then I think you stunt your growth when you see comfort. Uh, but when you can put yourself in a position where uh, you have a healthy relationship with discomfort and you understand that purpose comes through pain then you, you, you don't pursue places where I feel comfortable. You pursue places in which you can grow in. That's so good. That's so good. We all need to be doing that, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and w- what I would add to that is as a person of color in predominantly white spaces, I've had to learn to love that mm-hmm. because I've just seen the fruit of it. I've, I've seen the growth that I've experienced in my life because I walk into a room and I can say, well, definitely the only one that looks like me mm. and then creating a, a way to figure out how, what do I, what do I have in common in this room? Mm-hmm. What do I have to offer in this room? Mm. And, and that really has helped me just really be creative in, in ways to, to be a steward of my gifts is okay. Even though I don't look like anybody, I still feel like I have something to offer. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's really awesome. So you have been the child, the teenager and the adult in the room that has come from 
a different background than a lot of the people in the space. So Mm. give us from those perspectives how we as adults may be interacting with a child, a teen, or another person from a diverse background. How can we create a space where they feel supported and encouraged and like that they belong? I would say start with what you're bringing to the room yourself. I think a lot of people try to understand other people before they understand themselves. Mm. And I think self-awareness is the key to growth. Wow. And a lot of times, especially in cross-cultural <laughs> settings, like this is what I see. I, people have this intention and desire to, to learn about the other and they, they want to create space for the other. But I, I always step back and like, do you understand what you're bringing into the room? Do you understand mm. the expectations that mm. you have? And the pride that you have that you can do something about it. And so Mm. some settings, we just have to step back and ask ourselves, like, what are we bringing into the room? What expectations do I have for this person? And is that valid or not? Yeah. Should I come in as a learner and Mm. not as a doer? Because I think that a lot of people come in as, hey, I want to create space. I want to do these things instead of stepping back and saying, hey, what do I need to leave at the door so that this person can come in? Mm. I've just seen that be detrimental because people want the right thing. They just don't know how to do it. And they don't know how to do it because they haven't seen it done well. Yeah. And and so I give people a lot, a lot of grace because the majority of people, not all, the majority of people that have said racist stuff to me weren't trying to. Mm. <laughs> and and they weren't trying to make me feel excluded or that I didn't belong. And so I I, I learned that I just had to give people more grace. But I also call it out when I see it. I'm like, oh, that person's definitely trying to make sure that I know that I don't look like them, that I don't belong here. Mm. And I don't really fight back. I just have a phrase in my head that's just helped me grow. It's called, you showed me your cards. And then I just like, okay, I see the hand you're holding Mm -hmm. and I will engage or not. But thank you. (laughs) Thank Mm -hmm. you for showing me what you really Mm -hmm. think and feel about me. Man, wow. Again, so much grace. I know, yeah. <laughs> Which means you probably learned to navigate these spaces really well through all your years yeah. of, you know, being in the area you grew up in and also what is historically a predominantly kind of white suburban ministry as mm-hmm. well. You saying that I have a lot of grace. My goal wasn't, hey, I hope someday to have a lot of grace to put up with this stuff. It was conditioning over time. Yeah. And it was receiving God's grace for me. It's been humbled in ways where I didn't try to offend somebody and I did. Mm -hmm. And really just stepping back and just saying, hey, how how can I be a learner? How can I be a servant? And I think when you put yourself in that position, things things are different. Mm -hmm. Not a savior. I'm not trying to save people. I'm not trying, how can I serve people? And and how can I learn? Yeah, yeah, that's good. So I know that you have a very humble approach to this, but I also know that you have an important leadership role. And obviously, as part of this program that you do, training these servant leaders of the next generation, you're not only trying to shape them, but you're trying to shape the culture around you. You're trying to shape for good the organization you're working in and the way that you all do things to be able to engage better with today's youth. Mm -hmm. And I'm just curious, maybe some of the examples you've experienced of what has had to change and how that's gone, you know, as you've helped the organization become more aware, more diverse, and more mm-hmm. welcoming to students from lots of different backgrounds? Yeah, I will have to say that for the last 15 years, I've been in a church partnership with Young Life. And so 
I got hired in 2008 as the junior high youth pastor at a church, as well as relaunching Young Life in Richfield. And so navigating not only the diversity within Richfield and the church, also church and outreach. And so I've Mm -hmm. been navigating all different types of cultures and trying to create space for these students. And uh, what I've seen is that we fear that which we don't know. Mm-hmm. If it's different, we, we, we have a, a level of fear. And I also know this, you can't love that which you don't know. <laughs> mm-hmm. So trying to create spaces where, where people actually get to know each other, where they have to mm-hmm. be disrupted in ways uh, because their life experience is clashing with someone else's. And it, it's not who's right and who's wrong. It is what's going on here. Mm-hmm. And, and tr- trying to create spaces of, I call it, intentional intrigue. I call it holy confusion. I call it, uh, I I call it these things because Jesus created spaces like that. He Mm. asked over 300 questions. Anytime someone asked him a question, he would answer with the question. And here's what I know is true. When you give someone the answer, the search stops. That's good. And, and Mm. Jesus had this way about create going in the church, out of the church, through Samaria, causing all this confusion. And he never really just explained himself. He left people with awe and wonder. And so whether it's in the church or with Young Life, I know that I'm called to create intrigue and wonder Mm -hmm. so that the search can continue. What I want to instill through the trainings that we do with Young Life and Servant Leadership Project is inspire people to seek awe and wonder in their faith, not answers. Mm. And, and that's really what the Servant Leadership Project is. And we intentionally take students from all different types of backgrounds, staff from all backgrounds. So we'll have a white suburban kid that lives in a resort town and his roommate for 10 days is an urban kid from Dallas that lives in the city. Mm. And when you create spaces of holy disruption and allow God to do his thing in that space, beautiful things can happen through hard things. Yeah. And so that is, is is really at the core of what we do or what what I'm kind of in charge of doing with the servant leadership project and what I try to do at the church. Uh just try to create spaces where people leave with awe and wonder and they they find Jesus in that space. Mm. Oh, love that. Yeah. So I'm interested in hearing how you as a leader, what are things that you've learned about navigating these types of spaces? What would you say to other people that are leading? and wanting to navigate well? I think about my mentors and a number of them were older white males. And people might fall in a certain place, but when they hear, when people hear the word privilege now, people have a certain feeling about it. But my whole thing is, white people aren't the only people with privilege. Mm-hmm. All privilege means is that you have opportunity and access. Mm-hmm. Now the question is, how are you using it? Mm-hmm. So I, I've been saying, like, I've got brown privilege. My parents were immigrants. I know how, what it means to work hard. I know what it means to have a side hustle because you need it. Yeah. So that's kind of helped me in Young Life staff is I needed to make a way. And I'm glad that I saw how hard my parents worked. And I call that brown privilege. I have a privilege where I can walk into any room and people don't really know what I am. So I kind of don't belong, but I can fit in somehow. Mm. And so the people in my life that have been mentors that have stewarded their positions of power have given me access. 
So I think about my, my mentor, Kirk Foote, my Young Life leader. He asked me to speak at a Young Life camp when I would never seen a camp speaker look like me. I've never seen a young camp speaker. And he just said, I see how people listen to you. And I, I want you to, to speak at fall camp. Um, I think about my mentor, Vern Hill, who was the previous director of SLP, the Servant Leadership Project. I went to seminary, I got my MDiv, but then I only got invited to speak at middle school camps. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so I wanted to figure out how do I use what I've learned to serve people, to to train people. And at, at the time, Young Life wasn't inviting me into training for the area or region. Vern said, hey, can you develop the curriculum for SLP? Because I believe that you have something to say about these things. Mm. That's what people need to understand is that, hey, you have power and privilege for a reason. And it's not to serve yourself. Who can you give access and who can you equip and empower because you have these things? Mm -hmm. And don't feel guilty about what you have. Figure out how to use it to serve other people. And, and that's what I would tell, tell others is don't feel bad about your privilege. Just figure out how to use it. Yeah, that's really good. Well, it sounds like you had some observant and just very intentional, uh, maybe mentors and, and leaders who kind of created that space for you, invited you into that, which is great, but also maybe not always the case. Mm-hmm. You know? Like, <laughs> I was going to say that. I, I was going to say that. I just like, well, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm like, there are a lot of people that I heard I've you had name two people, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I know a lot of people work in Christian organizations that do have the same legacy. You know, they mm-hmm. have people who've not really opened their eyes or realized the the need and the opportunity for leaders like yourself, maybe young, maybe with different backgrounds to be able to just really make us better. Like what sort of lessons have you learned that maybe could apply to other organizations that need to have similar leadership? What I would say is uh, the leaders that were not the door openers, the gatekeepers uh, that I've, I've worked around have been insecure in their positions, insecure in their gift set. And so they, they've never said this, but I just gather that like I was a threat Mm -hmm. and as if I was trying to take their position, Kirk and Vern didn't see me as a threat. They, because they, they were secure in who they were, that they just wanted to open the door so I could become who I was called to be. Mm -hmm. And you have leaders that are self-preservation leaders that want to make sure that they maintain power Mm -hmm. or they want to make sure that they maintain their platform. And so out of fear, out of insecurity, uh, they stunt the growth of other people that they're leading. Mm -hmm. And so I I would say to leaders in positions of power to really see their role in development as equipping, empowering, and exiting. Mm -hmm. When you equip someone, you give them the tools you give them the knowledge, you give them the wisdom so they know what they're doing. When you empower someone, you give them an opportunity to do those things that you've trained them to do. Mm. But then you got to get out of the way. Yes. You got to exit. Yes. And, and I just haven't seen people exit well. I've seen people exit their position so they can move up. But sometimes moving up is not the next step. Maybe moving to the side, yeah. moving in the background. And that's what's really uh, interesting to me is that I don't I don't see a lot of people just saying, "Hey, here's what I'm called to do. I'm not called to move up. I'm actually called to step aside for you, mm-hmm. and then stay where I am." Vern modeled that for me. He was an area director in Stillwater for over 30 years, and I just saw him not climbing the ladder of success or young life. 
he knew what he was called to do and he didn't deviate from it. Mm, that's awesome. And he created space for people like me. I love that. And I think that call for exit could apply across the board. Like we see that so much in organizations, in churches, in everywhere, that it's hard to exit. It's hard to let go. But I love that you frame that into like, well, know what you're called to. Mm -hmm. And I actually think there's a lot of opportunity, as you said, to step aside and to be in the background and still doing things and be a part of things. Mm -hmm. And yet getting to watch someone else really thrive with that opportunity. That's really, that's really amazing. I love that vision. It's hard to do and it's humbling. And I'll, I'll tell you why I know this. <laughs> so the current area director of Richfield Young Life is a former middle school student of mine. So he was an eighth grader when I met him. I took him on SLP when he was a junior. He went on student staff when he was at the University of Wisconsin. And then he calls me his senior year and says, when are you going to hire me? He's a, a younger white male that went to a private school. And here I am, his mentor. And I just saw him developing. And with this role with SLP, I just had to step out of the way because I said, if I stay as the acting area director of Richfield Young Life, I'm stunting his growth. Mm. But then I was praying and trying to process, Lord, are you calling me out of Richfield? Or are you calling me into SLP? And I was trying to navigate where I'm supposed to go. And I just love this city and I love the kids here. I love the community. And the Lord was saying, no, I'm not calling you to leave Richfield. I'm calling you to step aside. Mm. And I'm like, are you sure? (laughs) It was hard hard for me to step aside and have Darby is his name, step into the role as area director and allow him to make some mistakes Mm -hmm. and allow him to speak to me, not as a boss anymore. And so uh, it is humbling, but at the same time, I, I only follow what Jesus did. What did yes. you do? Mm-hmm. Washed the feet of his disciples and mm-hmm. he moved aside and he created space and it was confusing. And people were thinking, what are you doing? And I just want at least some people that I'm leading to see, Hey, it is possible because I've seen it. Mm-hmm. It is possible because I've experienced it. Cause that's the thing. You can't pursue something you can't see. Mm-hmm. And That coupled with what I just know to be true is the greatest way to complain is to create. Hmm. And I didn't, I didn't see anyone doing it. And I was at at, earlier on, I was complaining, well, people don't do this. (laughs) People just move up. And I said, you know what? I have to do it. And that's the best way to complain is to create something new, to create a new vision. Hmm. And it's been, it's been hard, but humbling. And it's been fun just because now I, you know, I'm serving Darby in a totally different way Mm. uh, where I I just get to be alongside of him and watch him flourish. Man, can you think of any other best practices when it comes to the organizations that you are a part of with empowering other people, particularly people that maybe don't look like them or of a different background or diversity than they are? Yeah, I mean, one, it's, I think it's all about posture. If you're in a posture of a servant, Mm someone's success should not lead to your insecurity. Mm-hmm. Right. And you can't really celebrate someone else until you're secure with yourself. Mm. And that's what I've just seen is that I've felt bad at sometimes for succeeding at something because I was afraid of what the leader would feel about themselves. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, and I would downplay some of the things that I was proud of that God allowed me to do because I was afraid of 
how my supervisor would feel because they didn't get invited to the same opportunity. Wow. And I had to realize who, who am I really trying to please? Do I, am I, am I trying to make sure that they feel secure themselves or, or am I pursuing God saying, well done, good and faithful servant. Mm -hmm. And so when I pursued, Hey, I just want to do God's will and I want to steward the opportunities and not feel bad for them. And I want to pursue excellence in what I do. That's really where I just got the freedom of, I need to do what I'm called to do and bring people along the way. Mm. And so when I think of what leaders can learn is really take a hard look uh, at their identity and wh what is it rooted in? And when that insecurity creeps in, what value is being challenged? Because mm. I think a lot of times people just react instead of reflect. Mm. Uh, when they see someone else's success and they can't celebrate it right away, that says something. Mm -hmm. Uh, but when you see someone else that's successful and you say, good for you, period, that's how you know you're secure. <laughs> Not good for you. You're amazing. I need to get better. Or that's awesome for you, but I need to become a better speaker. Or I need to do something to get there. That's, there's something else going on there. Mm -hmm. But when you can truly see someone else flourishing mm -hmm. and their flourishing does not diminish who you are, that as a leader, you can say, hey, I am truly celebrating who God made that person to be and who they are has no effect on me. Mm. And that is really the type of freedom I, I want all Christians to feel is Galatians says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Mm -hmm. yeah. And he wants us to be free, but are we really free? Mm. I, that's, I just don't see it uh, a lot of times with leaders. They, they're holding on to something. I just don't know what that is sometimes. Ooh. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I, I'm literally like mentally making notes of all the sentences I'm going to go back and highlight. Yeah. I'm like make into little like reminders. You have coined, I think probably five phrases that I'm so like, good. Oh, I got to remember that. Wow. You've given us so much to think about. And I just so appreciate that God has given you that sort of wisdom to be mm -hmm. able to see and interpret and then act in the place that you're in and in so many other environments that yeah. you can influence this world for good. I love it. I do want to share another story, though, that really was influential in how I stewarded my ethnic ambiguity. It was the first year I was on staff at this church in Richfield, at Hope Church. And Dr. John Perkins came and he spoke, but I had seen him at a conferences before. And I had gotten his books in seminary and I, I knew who he was, but I was wondering why he was in our church speaking to our staff of 30. And so when I walked in the room, I'm like, there's John Perkins is right here. And he's, and he's teaching us about how to do good ministry in the city. And he comes up to me at lunch and he says, what are you doing here? I said, well, I work here. <laughs> and he goes, well, I know you work here. This is your staff. I understand that. He goes, but look at yourself. Him and I were the only people of color in the room. And he goes, you don't look like them. And then I went into this story. Well, I'm Filipino. I got a Spanish name. I went to a white school and I connect with all different types of kids. And, and I was just trying to give him a reason why I should be in there. And he, he entertained it. He listened to me. And then he looks me straight in the eyes and he said, you do not look like them. He goes, when you walk into a room like this, they're going to love you or hate you, or something in between, but you have their attention. Hmm. You need to figure out what you're going to say. Wow. And I was 27, and that was the first time that I took ownership of that access. He says, you have their attention. 
whether they love or hate you, you have their attention. Now you have to steward that and figure out what are you going to say? Mm. And, and that really set me free in, in a way that hadn't been before. Before I was making up why I should belong in the room. And now I was trying to figure out, God, why have you placed me in this room? Mm. So good. And, and that really has shifted the way in which I, I steward those opportunities when asked oh my uh, to share. Leave it to that. Dr. Perkins to change someone's life. Yeah, I know, exactly. In a conversation. Man. Well, I just find myself praising God for you and your story yeah. and all that He's doing through you. And so I'm so grateful for you sharing all that and for you just continue to do the work that you do. And thank you for joining us. This has been amazing. And I'm just hoping that God will just continue to bless that work that you're doing in mm-hmm. huge ways. Grateful for the opportunity. And my prayer for people that have listened to this is not that they leave with more answers of what to do or what to think, but they leave with more awe and wonder for what God wants to do through them. And that's really, really my prayer for your podcast and what you're doing is that people don't listen so they figure out what they need to do to change their lives, that they actually see a greater God than they saw before. And and that's my prayers will continue uh, to go with you too, um, that you engage in more conversations like these to free up other people. Amen. Thank you, Cesar. joining us today for the race and redemption podcast make sure not to miss an episode by clicking the subscribe button on our page wherever you listen to podcasts and follow us on instagram at race and redemption so you can join the conversation today this episode was produced by matt owen for soul graffiti productions